Hello, I'm Seth M. Siegel. Welcome to the Let There Be Water podcast, a conversation featuring ideas and solutions to some of the world's most pressing water issues. In the late 1950s, Israeli water engineer Semcha Blas invented drip irrigation, the most efficient use of water in agriculture, with the dripping of droplets of water at the roots at regular intervals. Our guest, Nati Barak, grew up in a city in Israel but wanted to be a farmer. In time, he left the fields to become a senior executive at Netafim and today is its chief sustainability officer. Nati, welcome to the Let There Be Water podcast. Seth, thank you. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. So why don't we start by talking about agriculture? A lot of our guests talk about uses of uh, devices in the city and the home that limit the amount of water, that save water, but we need to also have a conversation about agriculture. So how much water is used in agriculture and how much water does drip irrigation save? Seth, you have to realize drinking, cooking, sanitation, we are talking only about 10% of the amount of water that is used globally. 70% is used for agriculture. Just imagine, drip irrigation can save easily 15%, saving only 15% in agriculture. We can more than double the amount of water available for domestic use. So that would be transformational in our terms of our water supply and what we could do with it. It is. Drip irrigation is an excellent answer to producing more food with less water. When you mention it increases the yield, explain to our mostly city dweller listeners exactly what you mean. Well, by directing the water and, I should say, the nutrients as well directly to the roots, at the amount that is needed, the time that it's needed, and of course the, the place where it's needed, we make the impact on the plant is uh, amazing. And to city people, I can perhaps say, instead of kind of wasting energy of the plant by sending the roots to look for water deeper and deeper, the food, the nutrients, the water is there where the roots are, and all the energy of, of the plant is going to produce higher and better yields. We're going to talk a lot more about food security in a few minutes, but before we get there, what types of crops can use drip irrigation. Is this something that's universal or is it limited to trees? Is it limited to field crops? How does it work? Well, actually, any crop can be irrigated by drip. When we started 50 years ago, we worked mainly with grapes, table grapes and wine grapes. It was pistachios and almonds. It was cherry tomatoes, strawberries, citrus. So mainly tree crop and high-value vegetables. Today, most of our work is done in the developing world where water security is really a challenge. And we are moving from the high value crop to your basic foods. When we are talking about food security, we are not talking about strawberries. We are talking about rice. We are talking about corn, about maize. We are talking about potatoes, cassava, soybeans. Basically, everything can be drip irrigated. And this, by the way, is using reusing uh, wastewater. And that means that it could be cu customized to any kind of water, whether it's fresh water or brackish water or, or, or treated wastewater, I'm guessing. 
Yes. I remember you mentioned in your book, uh, Let There Be Water, you mentioned other measures that Israel took to overcome our water situation, one of which is using wastewater. Before we get into the policy issues around all this, which I know is exactly what you spend most of your time doing, explain to us a little bit about how exactly mechanically this all works. Where the drippers sit, how they sit, what is added to the water. Give us sort of a rundown of how the mechanics of all this work in some short order. Drip irrigation, it's not high tech, but it is the high end of the low tech or the low end of the high tech. We are talking about drippers, emitters that are designed to deliver an exact amount of water directly to the roots. So we have what we call the dripper line. It's a plastic tubing, let's say half inch in diameter. We have drippers or emitters spaced along this dripper line, let's say 20 inch apart, and each dripper emits exactly the same amount of water and nutrients regardless of the distance from the water source, regardless of the pressure, regardless whether it's going uphill or down the valley, each plant in the field will get exactly the same amount of water and nutrients, which is very important if you want to be efficient and you don't want to waste water, chemicals, and nutrients. But I'm guessing that some of these also can be planted below the surface. Is that correct? Yes, this is correct. It can be above surface. By the way, in some of the vineyards, the farmers are hanging there on a wire on the trellises of the grape. So it can be above ground. It can be buried shallow underground, or it can be buried a little bit deeper. And how long do those tripper lines last for? Subsurface systems can last for 10, 15, 20 years, and are still accurate. Now, I've heard you speak at different global organizations, and very movingly, about how drip irrigation can solve some of the world's most pressing problems, social and otherwise. Could you share with the listeners some of those issues and how drip irrigation addresses them? At the beginning, when, when we introduced drip irrigation, we were really thinking only about one challenge, about the water scarcity in Israel. We were looking for a solution to our immediate circle, being farmers in the Israeli uh, Negev desert. And, and drip irrigation gave answer to this immediate challenge. But then when we went out to the world, it was clear to us that we have an answer to other challenges as well. Food security, energy issues, climate change. And had you asked me several years ago, does drip, well, drip irrigation is beautiful, but does it have any effect on gender issues? I would have said, I don't think so. But now we see when we're talking about smallholder farmers in Africa, we are talking about women who are walking eight hours every day back and forth to the, from the field to the river and back to fetch water. And when we introduce drip irrigation to them, they don't have to walk so much. So work is much easier for them. At the same time, it increases yields. Drip irrigation has a, a, a beautiful effect on all those challenges. Now, this sounds like the miracle invention. So give us a feel for how widespread 
this is adopted globally. I know in Israel, it's about 75% of all irrigated fields use drip irrigation. And what is it, what, give us a feel for what the numbers are on a, on a worldwide basis. Certainly, you are correct. Today, only 5% of global irrigation is drip. It is changing, but not enough. California, for example, with the drought today, I think is getting close to 40% of drip irrigation. But still, even today in California, there is more flood irrigation than drip irrigation. There are other countries where drip irrigation is growing, like India, South Africa, Australia, other states in the United States, Central and South America. But globally, if you look at the global picture, only 5% is drip irrigation. How do you explain why this is so low? This is the question that we are asking ourselves all the time. I think that number one is people, especially decision makers, but also farmers sometimes, are not aware of the advantages of drip irrigation. There are other obstacles, regulation, financing, some farmers being very conservative and not very flexible to adopt new technologies. All, all those are obstacles that we are trying to overcome. Do you find that there are others partnering with you, like the United Nations, the World Bank, other multinational organizations, the United States State Department, the USAID? Do you, do you find that these organizations are all also thinking about drip irrigation, helping you to push your product? Seth, we do, but, but this is not enough. The only way to work with smallholder farmers is through partnerships. As I said, you know, we do business in the developed world with the more advanced farmers. This is really not a big problem. Challenges, but you know, this is our business. And I have to remind you, you know, we are not an NGO. We are a business and we are doing everything for business. When we are going to the smallholder farmers and we see the, the amazing change, the amazing transformation that drip irrigation can bring to them and really bring them out of the poverty, this is something that we cannot do alone because you have to organize a large group of farmers to create some kind of a critical mass. You need to provide them with some kind of financing. There's a lot of training. And this is something that, you know, as big and as successful as Netafim is, we are not big enough to do that. We need partners for that. And partners can be local governments, can be local and global uh, NGOs, agencies like USAID uh, from the United States, like GIZ from Germany, uh, agencies in Holland, in Sweden, and so on. And we do work and collaborate with them, but I have to admit that this is not enough. We have to do much more on that. Nati, what does the world of agriculture look like in 20 years? World population will be then over 9 billion people. Will the world be broadly like Israel in terms of adoption of drip irrigation? I'm sure it will. Uh, you see, we always say that uh, necessity is mother of all inventions. I think we have no other choice. I mean, Israel developed its agriculture and farming technology mainly because of uh, necessity. There are other things perhaps that are unique to Israel, and I think that you mentioned it uh, in your book, Let There Be Water, but I, I don't want to get into that. I think that necessity will get 
more young people drawn into farming and will get the best out of people all over. Uh, Nati, before we let you go, is there anything else you'd like to say? Yes, let there be water. Yes, let there be water. Thank you, Nati Barak, Chief Sustainability Officer of Netafim. Thank you for joining us on the Let There Be Water podcast. I hope you'll be back again soon and with good news about further levels of adoption of this wonderful invention, drip irrigation. This edition of the Let There Be Water podcast was directed by Jamie Black and edited by Morel Frankel, with production assistance by Alexander Lindroth and creative input from Krasimir Galabov. Thank you for listening.